Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866 609 Hey, this is episode number 54 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Tuesday, December 28th, 2021. Should I say 2021? Anyway, yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious. Last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there. A lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. All right, before we get to the big news today that uh, the governor of Arkansas has made national news and rolling over for usurper Biden, let me just say this. If you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage that you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options that you have full control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can determine what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy, your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door anywhere in the continental U.S., no matter where you live. RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. All right. Now, I think we mentioned yesterday that Joe Biden, the guy who campaigned on having a plan to get rid of COVID, having a plan to stop COVID, is now saying, huh, there's no federal way of dealing with this. It's just up to the states. Well, it turns out he said this in response to something that Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson said when Biden was on a Zoom call with some governors. 
But 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 wait, it gets deeper. It gets deeper. Over the Daily Caller, the article by I hope I pronounce this guy's name, Shaksad Yuldoshbov. I know I got it wrong. He says Republican Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson expresses gratitude to, I, I will not say the word president in front of Joe Biden, expresses gratitude to usurper Joe Biden for his efforts to, quote, depoliticize our COVID response, unquote, during a Monday video conference. <laughs> wow. Wow. The president held a, what are you going to do next, uh, Asa Hutchinson, Republican governor of Arkansas? Are you going to uh, congratulate him on his wonderful cognitive abilities, how he's still sharp as a tack? Would, would that be the next thing to say, Asa? Because what you said is just as stupid as saying that would be. But anyway. Usurper Biden held a video call with a number of state governors discussing the nation's struggle against the Omicron variant. Oh, that's the one that's kind of like getting a mile cold, right? Yeah, we're struggling on that. Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson used his opening remarks to commend the Biden administration for, quote, being such great support to the governors, unquote, according to TheHill.com. Governor Hutchinson said, I want to thank... I'm not going to say Mr. President. For your address to the nation last week, thank you for your comments designed to depoliticize our COVID response. I think that was helpful. And this guy, Governor Asa Hutchinson, Arkansas, with an R by his name, actually thinks he's going to run for president in 2024. Kind of like Jeb Bush, okay? A couple of years before the 2016 presidential race, Jeb Bush actually gave uh, Hillary Clinton a medal. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. In Philadelphia for being a champion of constitutional freedoms or some such folder all. Anyway, Hutchinson then went on to praise Biden's Tuesday announcement on increasing the availability of free rapid COVID-19 tests, which he said quote, has become a real challenge for the governors, unquote. Oh, he also said, as we face Omicron, the governors in your administration must be working together more closely than ever. Yeah, I tell you what, that mild cold, man, that mild cold that nobody's died from, yeah, that's that's a big deal. Uh, um. Ah. <laughs> So I, I got a, I got a, already I got a comment here on the Potbean app. People, somebody listening live. She said, "If Asa thinks he's going to run for president in 2024, he's out of his freaking mind." But on the other hand, he could always run as a Democrat. He fits great with the left in this country. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Well, look, all I can tell you, all I can tell you is uh, several months ago, um. Ace was on CNN, again, Republican governor of Arkansas. He's on CNN with Jake Tapper, who suggested that it might be a good idea for him to run for governor 
in 2024. And Aza said, well, now, Jake, uh, 2024 is a long way off. With respect, with respect, Governor. If you're going to run for president in 2024, you definitely will be thinking about it in 2021. Well, Jake, right now I'm just uh, content to run the state of Arkansas. We've got a lot to do here. Frankly, I don't know what I'll be doing after 2022. Now, does that sound like somebody who's in touch with reality enough to know that he would have no chance to run for president in 2024? No, it doesn't. It sounds like somebody doesn't want to talk about it right now. Aza Hutchinson, a few months ago, vetoed a bill passed overwhelmingly by a supermajority of Republicans in the state legislature of Arkansas. He vetoed a bill to protect minor children from being sterilized, to protect minor children from surgical castration, chemical castration. And the Republicans in the state legislature decided to override his veto overwhelmingly. And he still thinks. I mean, at this point, Aza Hutchinson could run for an, if there was an open seat in the U.S. House or an open seat in the U.S. Senate in Arkansas, which there isn't, you would think usually a guy who is completing two four-year terms as governor has you know a lot of name recognition could easily win that no no at this point after he vetoed the anti-sterilization bill Asa Hutchinson couldn't get elected dog catcher in his own state but he's thinking about running for president oh yeah oh yeah um so anyway be that as it may the article winds up here during his Tuesday address dedicated to the measures against Omicron. Biden acknowledged the efforts of former President Trump's administration in developing the vaccines, it's, you know, last Tuesday, and promoted Trump's decision to get a booster shot, noting it was one of the few things the two agreed on. Well, it's like I've been telling you. The Democrats are going to do a 180 on the vaccines. And they're going to say it was all Trump's fault for rushing it. And it took them a while to figure out what's going on. So what uh, what actually happened on this uh, this call between uh, usurper Biden and Governor Hutchinson and other governors? Uh, Philip Wegman is a reporter for Real Clear News and responding to Biden saying there's no federal solution. This gets solved at the state level responding to Biden telling state governors that. Reporter Philip Wegman says it would have been unthinkable to say that during the campaign. Biden also said, my message to the governors is simple. If you need something, say something. We're going to have your back any way we can. 
and Biden was responding to Arkansas Governor Hutchinson, who offered a word of concern or encouragement, namely that as the feds move on testing, quote, we do not let federal solutions stand in the way of state solutions, unquote. So Biden's full response. He said, Aza, thank you very much. Look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved state level. I'm looking at Governor Sununu on the board here. He talks about that a lot, and it ultimately gets down to where the rubber meets the road, and that's where the patient is in need of help or preventing the need for help. Preventing the need for help, huh? That would be like early treatment, which uh, the Biden administration, including the FDA, CDC, and NIH, are totally against. Early treatment, which the medical establishment and the governors, most of them, but definitely including the governor of Arkansas, are totally against. Ivermectin, oh, no, 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 no. It works. But they don't want you using it. Oh, no, 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 no. I got to tell you, um, a few months ago, UAMS, which stands for University of Arkansas Medical System, the, the director of whom serves at the pleasure of the governor of Arkansas, UAMS fed a story to local TV stations in Little Rock that ivermectin was nothing more than horse paste and was dangerous and people were overdosing on it. Ignoring the fact that a mere six years ago, the people who developed ivermectin were given a Nobel Prize for how wonderful it works on human beings. So, I mean, a governor, I would think, who actually cares about his people, actually cares about early treatment, actually cares about saving lives, would have fired the director of UIMS. But... But uh, not in uh, not in Arkansas. Now, it kind of reminds me of the uh, the Dukes of Hazard thing. Remember that? Just good old boys. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That having been said. No, you know, I yeah, I could play you the audio. Do you, do you really want it? Okay, it's less than a minute long. It's less than a minute long. Let me uh let me cue up the audio here of the hapless governor of Arkansas. Um Aza Hutchinson, here he is. And I want to thank Mr. President your address to the nation last week. Uh thank you for your comments uh, designed to depoliticize our COVID response. I think that was helpful. As we face uh, Omicron, the governors and your administration must be working together more closely than ever. I particularly appreciate uh, your comments about uh, increasing the supply chain on rapid uh, COVID tests. This has become a real challenge for the governors. And your uh, task force led by Jeff Zients has been responsive and has kept us informed every step of the way. A good example is this last week uh, I asked uh, for more uh, monoclonal antibody treatments. We received them last week. 
Still, we have a limited supply, but the responsiveness is uh, very much appreciated. And I want to thank Mr. President. Your oh no no no, we don't want to do it twice. <laughs> we don't want to do it twice. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Wait, what? Washington Post. Five Republican-led states extend unemployment aid to workers who lose jobs over vaccine mandates. Critics say the rule changes in Arkansas, Florida, Iowa, Kansas, and Tennessee are incentivizing people to skip shots and undermining the White House's pandemic response. Okay, so at least uh, Arkansas, Florida, Iowa, Kansas, and Tennessee are doing something right there in supporting unemployment for people who lose their jobs for refusing the uh, the vaccine mandate. Well, at least, okay. Okay, I'll give him that. I'll give him that. All right. Now, what did Biden say yesterday? After the conference, the telephone conference of the National Governors Association on the Omicron response. Well, they're not, they didn't tell me to worry, but they thanked me for the cooperation they're getting. They said they got all that they need. They just want to know what we think is going to happen from here. They asked Dr. Fauci some more questions about everything from whether or not he thought he was going to have to move to test at home. I mean, on air, air flights and that kind of thing. But uh, there, was no, uh, there was no complaints, a lot of cooperation. <laughs> Biden standing outside holding an umbrella over his head, talking through a mask. The same Biden who frequently takes off the mask to get right in people's face and talk inches away from their face. This guy. This guy. You, you want to call this guy president? I'm not going to call him president. They stole the election. He, he's a walking dementia case. Know what I'm saying? He's a walking dementia case. Unfreaking believable. My friend and great reporter over in American Greatness, Julie Kelly, saying last night. Asking for prayers for a January 6th detainee being starved by guards in a Virginia prison and put in the hole after speaking with me and his attorney today. This is his sixth jail. He's been denied bail by Judge Trevor McFadden, a Trump appointee who has no business on the federal bench. Christopher Queglin is accused of attacking police officers on January 6th. He has not been convicted of a crime. His trial date set by Judge McFadden, is August 29th of next year. So clearly, he's a political prisoner. Well, pray for Christopher Quaglin. Julie Kelly sees me starved by guards, put in the hole after speaking with me and his attorney yesterday. Wow. 
it's uh, horrendous what's being done to American citizens. Um, and hardly anybody in Congress is speaking out about it. Very few people in Congress. Now, the state I happen to be in, the state I did a, a radio talk show in for over seven years, Arkansas, has two senators, Tom Cotton, the one you see on TV a lot, John Bozen, the one you probably never heard of, and four U.S. representatives, four congressional districts, French Hill, Bruce Westerman, Rick Crawford, and Steve Womack, and none of them, none of them will speak up in defense of American citizens charged with nonviolent misdemeanors held without bail for the better part of a year and in some cases tortured in jail, in some cases beaten by jail guards. None of them. They won't. They won't. Now, I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't have any idea. All right, now, about this... uh, about this deal of Joe Biden saying there's no federal solution to COVID-19, I mean, so the Supreme Court should throw out all his vaccine mandates then, right? Joe Biden's chief of staff is a guy named Ron Klain. June 24th of 2020, Ron Klain went on Twitter and said, I've been saying since March that we can't beat covid with an Articles of Confederation response, we have a national government for a reason. If Donald Trump won't use it to beat this killer disease, I know someone who will starting on January 20th, 2021. Oh, really? What happened to that? What happened to that? Joe Biden said, I'm not going to shut down the economy, I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down COVID. Turns out he had no plan. He probably doesn't even know he said that because he's got dementia, and they just prop him up to try to read off a teleprompter, and he just reads whatever he's told to read. There was no plan. There was no plan. Now, there's a woman named Irene Armendariz Jackson, Republican running for U.S. House in El Paso, Beto O'Rourke's old district. And she's out there on Twitter this morning saying, if you still need a booster after being fully vaccinated, and still need to be tested after being fully vaccinated, and still need to wear a mask after being fully vaccinated, and still get hospitalized after being fully vaccinated. And someone isn't telling you the full truth. God bless her. Yeah, I followed her for that one. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene, U.S. representative, freshman U.S. representative from uh, 
Northwest Georgia, who will be cruising to re-election next year. She's very, very popular in her district. Well, thehill.com is just uh, having a little hissy fit because Marjorie Taylor Greene has called Kwanzaa a fake religion created by a psychopath. Okay. Thehill.com, story at a glance, the conservative group College Republicans tweeted on December 26, wishing people a happy Kwanzaa. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican of Georgia, responded by calling Kwanzaa a fake religion and accusing the group of pandering for votes. And thehill.com says Kwanzaa is not a religion, but rather a cultural holiday and celebration for African Americans. Oh, really? I'll bet you, and thehill.com doesn't want to know about this. I'll bet you majority of black folks in America do not celebrate Kwanzaa. Know what I'm saying? Now, thehill.com is not going to tell you anything at all about who created this fake holiday. All they want to do is slam a conservative Republican who refuses to know her place, who refuses to get in line and kowtow to the Marxists and the Marxist Biden regime like the Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson does or the soon-to-lose-his-seat-in-Congress Adam Kinzinger of Illinois does. I like Liz Cheney, who lose in the Republican primary here in a few months in Wyoming does. You got to know your place if you got an R by your name when you're dealing with the uh, the liberal media. They're not going to put up with anybody telling the truth. So they just are implying that she's a racist. And they're not going to say a word about the psychopath who created Kwanzaa. They're just kind of trying to trying to make her look bad for saying it. But I, I got a little something, something on that. Eric Owens over the Daily Caller. Just a few days ago. Says it's Christmas time, America, and you know what that means. It's almost Kwanzaa. It's also the season when public school classrooms across the Fruited Plain have pointedly avoided Christmas, but have teemed with lessons about Kwanzaa and a handful of other holidays which aren't Christmas. As a public service then, the Daily Caller is once again here to tell you the true and truly bizarre history of the violent, deranged, and radical black nationalist who concocted the completely artificial holiday of Kwanzaa back in 1966. The creator of Kwanzaa called himself Maulana Ndabezitha Karinga. He's now a 77-year-old professor of African studies 
at California State University, Long Beach. His real name is Ronald Everett. That's what his mama called him. He was born in rural Maryland, the 14th child of a sharecropping Baptist minister. Mr. Everett, I'm not going to call him Karenga. Mr. Everett was convicted in 1971 for brutally torturing two naked women. The weapons of torture included a soldering iron. I think that's supposed to be soldering iron. A vice and, of course, a toaster. The women were members of Mr. Everett's ultra-radical paramilitary black nationalist cult called the U.S. Organization, which went by the acronym U.S. according to contemporaneous news stories. Los Angeles Times article reports, and I quote, Investigators said the women were held at gunpoint, forced to disrobe, and were beaten. Deborah Jones, who once was given the Swahili title of an African queen, said she and Gail Davis were whipped with an electrical cord and beaten with a karate baton after being ordered to remove their clothes. Ronald Everett tortured Jones and Davis with the help of other members of his cult because he believed that the torture victims were using magic crystals to assassinate him on behalf of his enemies. Oh, I see. The victims said they were living at Ronald Everett's home when he accused them of trying to kill him by placing crystals in his food and water and in various areas of his house. Jones and Davis denied the charge that they were using special crystals to murder Ronald Everett. The denials were reportedly not helpful. The L.A. Times 1971 newspaper article says, when they denied it, allegedly they were beaten with an electrical cord and a hot soldering iron was put in Miss Davis' mouth and against her face. Miss Jones also testified that one of her own big toes was tightened in a vice. Ronald Everett, head of the U.S. cult, also put detergent and running hoses in their mouths. Miss Tomeo reportedly put detergent in their mouths. Smith turned a water hose full force on their faces, and Ronald Everett, holding a gun, threatened to shoot both of them. The victims also said they were hit on the heads with toasters. Ronald Everett allegedly said during the lengthy bout of torture, Vietnamese torture is nothing compared to what I know. A psychiatrist who examined him in 1971 concluded he was insane. A sentencing hearing transcript shows that the unidentified psychiatrist believed that the founder of Kwanzaa was both paranoid and schizophrenic. Judge Arthur L. Alarcon ordered Ronald Everett to undergo mental testing to determine whether he had a so deteriorated mentally that he was a threat to society. The judge read from the psychiatrist's report in court in September 1971, according to a report from Front Page Magazine, and he said, quote, Since his admission here, he has been isolated and has been exhibiting bizarre behavior, such as staring at the wall, talking to imaginary persons, claiming that he was attacked by dive bombers and that his attorney was in the next cell. 
During part of the interview, he would look around as if reacting to hallucination. And when the examiner walked away for, for a moment, he began a conversation with a blanket located on his bed. This man now presents a picture which can be considered both paranoid and schizophrenic with hallucinations and delusions, inappropriate effect, disorganization, and impaired contact with the environment. Okay, all that is from the psychiatrist's report that the judge read in court. So this Ronald Everett guy who called himself Karenga concocted Kwanzaa in 1966 as a secular, non-religious, pan-African holiday. Of course, nobody in Africa has ever heard of it. At the time, he was a 20-something graduate student living in L.A. The seven principles of Kwanzaa, perhaps your grade school child has spouted them to you, are unity, self-determination, collective work, cooperative economics, purpose, creativity, and faith. Faith in who? Faith in God? No, no, no. Faith in ourselves. Uh Uh-oh. Well, see, that's a mess because folk will always let you down sooner or later, right? God doesn't. But people, we're fallen creatures. We, We let each other down. Anyway, the seven Kwanzaa principles are identical to the seven principles of the infamous Symbionese Liberation Army, the murderous bank-robbing gang of revolutionary terrorists who kidnapped a newspaper heiress, Patty Hearst, in 1974. U.S. Congress document from the House Committee on Internal Security lists the Symbionese Liberation Army's seven principles as unity, self-determination, collective work, and responsibility, Cooperative production, purpose, creativity, and faith. During a 1975 bank robbery, Symbionese Liberation Army members murdered a bank customer named Myrna Opsal. She's a 42-year-old mother of four who bled to death on the floor of the bank. Members of Ronald Everett's U.S. organization cult murdered two Black Panthers in cold blood. The murders occurred in 1969 when the U.S. organization and the Black Panthers were fighting over which group would control the then-new Afro-American Studies Center at UCLA. There was reportedly an acrimonious meeting after two members of the U.S. organization, brothers George P. Steiner and Larry Joseph Steiner, accosted two Black Panthers, John Jerome Huggins and Alprentice Bunchy Carter, and shot them to death. The Panthers were also armed, and one of them apparently shot one of the Steiner brothers in the shoulder. Unfortunately, Ronald Everett, who called himself Karenga, the guy that invented Kwanzaa out of thin air, only spent four years in prison. He received a sentence of between one and ten years for felonious assault and false imprisonment in 1971 related to the torture of Deborah Jones and Gail Davis, a successful campaign by supporters who wrote letters to state officials led to a grant of parole in 1975. 1975, let me think, 1975. Who was governor of California in 1975? Oh, Moonbeam! Jerry Brown! Yes, of course! So, Ronald Everett... The psychopath, as Marjorie Taylor Greene so aptly refers to him, 
received a Ph.D. in 1976 from United States International University in San Diego. The school is now a for-profit institution called Alliant International University. He also received a Ph.D. from the University of Southern Cal in 1994. The name change. At some point in the 1960s, Ronald Everett decided he didn't want to be called Ronald Everett anymore, so he gave himself the name Molana, which is uh, Swahili for master teacher, and Karenga means keeper of tradition in Swahili. So all y'all who think that it's a good idea to say something nice about Kwanzaa, now you know what the truth is and you got to deal with it. And the idea that some Republican organizations are out there saying, oh, happy Kwanzaa, I'm thinking, well, gee, maybe black folks will vote for us because we say happy Kwanzaa. You know, instead of the fact that before the China virus, before the Wu flu, uh, black unemployment was at an all-time low and we had the best economy in the history of the world. Um, never uh, underestimate the ability of rhinos, the ability of moderate Republicans to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. They do it every time. They, they see everything backwards. They'll do it every time. I mean, like when they had a chance to fully get rid of Obamacare and John McCain was the guy who voted the wrong way and stopped it, right? Speaking of Obamacare, are you like most Americans? Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, actually make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? Now, if you answered yes to any of those questions, boy, I have good news for you. There's a website called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. You go to that website, MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, and you find out all about affordable plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. Sweet. Click on the button, says schedule, call now. You get a free consultation with my buddy Art Wilborn. He'll make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. And he'll also make sure you get an insurance plan that doesn't force you to cover things that would deeply offend your deeply held religious beliefs, like Obamacare does. You don't have to cover abortion and transgender surgery and all that kind of garbage with MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. Again, affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays, just go to MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, click on Schedule Call Now, get a free consultation. My buddy Art Wilborn, make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money 
on your insurance at myfamilyhealthplan.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, give me a second. I gotta, I gotta get a drink of water. You're listening to the Doc Washburn Show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. You can now listen live weekdays, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time at docwashburnshow.com. Podcast available at docwashburnshow.com and for download at Spotify, iTunes, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. We are on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Brian Coolis, my producer. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Now, having said that, New York City schools will reopen next week with more testing. They've announced... The largest U.S. school system will eliminate its policy of quarantining entire classrooms exposed to COVID starting January 3rd when students return from break. The district will also ramp up testing to allow students without symptoms to test negative to remain in school. So a guy named Peter Dow used to be a Clinton advisor. Now he's a leftist activist. Peter Dow responds to this by saying, what in the actual blank is this? With Omicron, we're facing the biggest surge of the pandemic. First, the CDC cuts the isolation period in half. They did. They cut it from 10 days to five days. Now, New York City schools will eliminate quarantining? Do they want to kill people? So, the wonderful Caleb Howe whose works have been published over The Blaze, PJ Media, USA Today, American Spectator, Daily Wire, Red State. The wonderful Caleb Howe responds, Stop questioning the scientists and experts, Pete. (laughs) I love it. I love it. The leftist activist is is questioning the, quote, science, unquote. I mean, you know, it's never been about science, but, you know. May as well use their uh, their terms against them, right? Know what I'm saying? By the way, CDC announced yesterday they have shortened the recommended time for COVID-19 isolation and quarantine. That's what this is about. Learn more about what to do if you test positive or have close contact with someone who tested positive for COVID-19, and you click on the link. The great Jeff Carlson of theepictimes.com says, Quote, stay six feet apart unless you're in school because three feet there is totally cool, unquote. Same people. Same people. They just make it up. They just make it up as they go along. Um. Oh man, yeah, this this is not good. You heard about this uh US warship stuck overseas as Navy tries to halt COVID outbreak among fully vaccinated crew. Yep. 
The Milwaukee is the first Navy ship this year to pause its deployment because of a coronavirus outbreak on board, even though everybody in the ship's vaccinated. Yep. You know, U.S. Representative Ralph Norman, proudly serving the 5th Congressional District of South Carolina, he, uh, he had a good take on it, I think. He had a good take on it. He said, okay, the CDC said on December 23rd, if you're an infected healthcare worker, you only need to quarantine for five days, but everybody else still 10 days. Then the CDC said yesterday, okay, 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 fine. Five days for everybody. Is, is, that, what, is that what following the science looks like? Man, man. See, this is the thing. When you use logic and linear reasoning, sometimes you can uh, upset liberals. They don't like it. They don't like it. Now, have you seen the viral video out there of police showing up NYPD police showing up at a restaurant, hassling a family and making children cry because they're out for a meal without papers showing they're vaccinated. Have you seen that? It's all over social media. Well, Jesse Kelly, who is a uh, talk show host out of Houston, says, now, just a reminder about this. COVID has been a tremendous long-term success for the communists. On top of everything else, they managed to purge much of the military and big city police forces of anything resembling a political enemy. They're getting what they've always wanted, a monopoly on force. If you're a cop and you're standing in a restaurant demanding vaccine papers from a family trying to enjoy a meal, just know you are the bad guy. You are. You're the one they write history books about, and people will later ask, how could men do such things? I was just following orders. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. See, I've been to New York City. I've been to New Jersey. And it was just an odd experience. People don't question authority. They vote for this kind of stuff. You know? It's, uh, it was just insane. It's never, never been. About the virus. It's never been about your health. By the way, um, over the global research website, Bombshell CDC no longer recognizes the PCR test as a valid method 
for detecting confirmed COVID-19 cases. In the course of the next four days, the PCR tests in the U.S. will be declared invalid. Remember, they announced months ago, they announced months ago that you got to, you know, if you're a healthcare facility, by the end of this year, you got to come up with some other kind of test. You got to move away from the PCR test because they're going to stop recognizing it at the end of this year. I talked about that on my local radio talk show in Little Rock, Arkansas, and the management was upset with me. But anyway, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Now remember, Dr. Kerry Mullis, the guy who won the Nobel Prize for developing the PCR technique, said the PCR is a process. It does not tell you that you are sick. By the way, he passed away in August 2019. But as they say over global research, the misuse of the PCR technique is applied as a relentless and intentional strategy by some governments to justify excessive measures, such as the violation of a large number of constitutional rights under the pretext of a pandemic based on a number of positive PCR tests and not on a real number of patients. Dr. Pascal Sacre, Belgian physician, specialized in critical care and renowned public health analyst. Smoking gun. As of January 1, 2022, the CDC, in a request to the FDA, withdraws its endorsement of the RT-PCR test. The CDC acknowledges that the PCR test does not effectively differentiate between COVID-19 and seasonal influenza. Amply documented and analyzed by numerous scientists, the PCR test does not detect or identify SARS-CoV-2 and its variants. While the CDC does not officially acknowledge that the PCR test is invalid, it nonetheless calls for it to be withdrawn. If the PCR test is invalid, as suggested by the CDC statement, the 260 million so-called confirmed COVID-19 cases collected and tabulated worldwide since the outset of the alleged pandemic are meaningless. There is no pandemic. So in the course of the next few days, the PCR test in the U.S. will be declared invalid? Sure looks like it. Sure looks like it. I've been saying on and off for months that Dr. Kerry Mullis, the guy who developed the PCR technique, said, This is not a test to tell you whether you are sick. Why do you think so many people were told they had the Wu flu when they had no symptoms? I've been saying on and off for months, going back to when I was doing local talk radio in Little Rock, Arkansas. If you're going to tell me that I have to wear a mask, which clearly doesn't work, Because I tested positive for something I have no symptoms of. And I never do develop symptoms for it. But if I don't wear a mask, 
I could infect somebody else with something I don't have symptoms for, and that other person could become deathly ill. And there'll never be a reason to stop wearing masks. Never. So, uh, so yeah. Now, there's going to be, there's going to be a, uh, day-long symposium soon in central Arkansas from some of these frontline doctors who prescribe early treatment to deal with all this. And I hope to have the details on the date, the time, and the place that I can share with you perhaps as early as tomorrow. So, that having been said, the IRS is now announcing if you steal property, you must report its fair market value in your income in the year you steal it unless you return it to the rightful owner in the same year. So I didn't know if you knew about that. I didn't know if you knew about that. But that is now out there. <laughs> you can't you can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. Um so there is now out there on um On YouTube video, recently released January 6th footage from inside the Capitol Tunnel, and it's a full five-minute segment of the tunnel surveillance footage with audio included. Well, I didn't think there was audio. And I'll have to listen to it off the air. See, you know, cuss words, or you know, if it's what it sound would sound like with just the audio. But um, the great Julie Kelly over at American Greatness said, "Now you know why they won't release fourteen thousand hours of surveillance video." As I've said for months, DOJ is concealing from the public widespread police misconduct. Brutality on January 6th, especially against unarmed women. Sadistic, misogynistic, and illegal behavior. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happened. There was no insurrection. It was a Fed-surrection. It was a setup by the Feds. It was a setup by the Feds. That's what it was. Now, uh, one guy responded to her saying, imagine watching the January 6th footage and your primary outrage is one trespasser being assaulted by outnumbered police. Was that singular act wrong? Yes, but let's remember she chose to be there and confront cops in riot gear, to which Julie Kelly responded, just another Democrat man endorsing male police officers beating, punching, and overall terrorizing an unarmed woman 
who was no threat simply because she was a Trump supporter. Be glad this isn't your husband or father. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, if I may, we talk about the unequal the unequal system of justice in this country. The postmillennial.com has the article Trans Antifa Rioter Charged with Felony Has Federal Case Dismissed After 30 Hours of Community Service. Really? Really? <clears throat> A serial riot arrestee charged over assaulting officers in August 2020 at a Portland riot had a federal case dismissed after completing 30 hours of community service. This guy, Joshua Martin Warner, who says now he's a female named Eva, Antifa rioter of Beaverton, Oregon, was charged last September by a criminal complaint with felony civil disorder after he was found targeting the eyes of multiple law enforcement officers with a high-powered laser during an August 8, 2020 riot in North Portland, Oregon. An unlawful assembly was declared at the Portland Police Association office on North Lombard Street during the evening in question after arsonists vandalized windows and set fire to the police union building. The far-left crowd also used vehicles and dumpsters to block nearby traffic, according to court documents. Oregon State Police officers notified the police department's rapid response team that Warner had directed a powerful green laser into the eyes of numerous officers who were attempting to disperse the Antifa riot, according to a Department of Justice press release. The lasers weaponized by Antifa black block can cause permanent eye damage. Warner resisted arrest prompting authorities to use force. Responding officers found a black pen-style laser pointer in Warner's possession. So Warner was taken into Multnomah County custody there in Oregon and charged with unlawful directing of light from a laser pointer, interfering with a peace officer, and second-degree disorderly conduct. He was quickly released without bail at the October 2020 arraignment. All three charges against Warner were not pursued. Later on September 2nd, 2020, after the federal case was investigated by the FBI, Warner was arrested by the U.S. Marshal Service in a southeast Portland apartment without incident. Warner appeared in federal court a day later before a U.S. magistrate judge and was released pending further court proceedings. At the time, Warner faced a maximum sentence of five years in federal prison. The December 21st motion filed in U.S. District Court and submitted by acting U.S. Attorney Scott Eric Esfog for the District of Oregon said, the government moves the court for an order under Fed R. Crim P. Rule 48A to dismiss with prejudice the indictment against the defendant the best interests of justice. The defendant has successfully comply with the terms of defendant resolution agreement, including performing at least 30 hours of community service. So this 26-year-old mental case, 
who insists he's a woman, was arrested three times, released by local authorities in multiple Portland area Antifa riots through throughout August 2020. A week later, when Antifa rioters shut down streets in North Portland on August 14, 2020, Warner returned and was arrested again for criminal mischief in the second degree. He was quickly released as well from police custody without bail. Then August 22, 2020, Antifa rioters attacked the Penumbra Kelly Building in southeast Portland. Warner was arrested for a third time, charged for interfering with a peace officer in second-degree disorderly conduct. He was released without bail, and the charges were not prosecuted by the Multnomah County District Attorney. You know, it kind of reminds me. It kind of reminds me. You know, there is something very, very wrong about the miscarriage of justice. Very wrong. And when you do this kind of stuff, it's it's hard to say, but you you encourage more violence when you don't take violent crime seriously. You encourage more violence, just as sure as as night follows day. When you don't take it seriously, there's a proverb. I was just trying to find it about when you don't give a legitimate sentence for wrongdoing. And I can't find it. I can't find it, but I'll, I'll try to find it between between now and tomorrow because it's a, it's a very serious thing. Very serious thing. All right. Let's see. I, I don't know. I don't understand it. People putting comments up on the the Podbean thing, I, I don't get. I'm not all that bright. I'm not all that bright. But I will tell you one thing. Uh, there was a remarkable thread from a doctor, Aaron Cariotti. Remarkable thread. He's a, a fellow of the Ethics and Public Policy Center and chief of ethics for something called the Unity Project. And this was thought-provoking. He said the defining feature of all totalitarianisms is neither concentration camps nor secret police nor constant surveillance. Though these are all bad enough, the common feature is the denial of the universality of reason. With this denial, all truth claims are interpreted as historically or materially determined 
and thus as ideology. You know, your truth, my truth. This leads to the assertion that there is no rationality as such, only bourgeois reason and proletariat reason or Jewish reason or Asian reason or black reason, white reason or progressive reason, reactionary reason, and so forth. One's rational arguments are then taken to be mere mystifications or justifications and are summarily dismissed without considering their content or logic. Quote, you think such and such only because you are fill in the blank with various markers of identity, class, nationality, race, political persuasion, etc. This marks the death of dialogue and rational debate. The only option left to resolving social questions is the use of raw force. Since persuasion through shared reasoning and deliberation is pointless, lying becomes the norm. Language is not capable of revealing truth, which compels assent without negating our freedom. Instead, words are thought to be mere symbols to be manipulated. An ideologue does not attempt to persuade his interlocutor. He merely overpowers him, using words when these serve to silence the enemy or deploying other means when words will not do the trick. Now, somebody responded, please kindly distill and spell it out in layperson terms. And so there was the response. The totalitarian state seeks to reduce truth to opinion. Whatever serves the state is declared fact, and any conflicting truth can be dismissed as political opinion. The state's monopoly on violence means their truth has the literal power to be enforced as such. And see, that's what Facebook does with their so-called fact-checkers, which they finally had to admit in court are not fact-checkers at all. They just uh, deal in the uh, realm of opinion. But see, that's the problem with critical race theory and intersectionality. They're trying to train our children to reject logic, to reject linear reasoning, and to be racists. Oh, you just think that because you're white. You just think that because you're black. You know, it's the old argument that I used to hear years ago when I was young from people who weren't Christians. Oh, well, you're just Christian because you grew up in America. If you grew up in India, you wouldn't be Christian. Well, they're, they're Christians in India. They didn't know that, though. They didn't know that. And there are plenty of people in America that are not Christian. They didn't know that. They didn't understand it. Because they've been trained a certain way, you know. They've been trained a certain way. As we see viral video of people in New York City being arrested for entering a Burger King without showing proof of vaccination. Uh, I mean, why would anyone ever want to go back to New York City? 
And why would anyone with any sense not be out of there by now? Know what I'm saying? I mean, most people are crazy. They're crazy. Now, I want to go back for a minute to Biden telling governors there's no federal solution on COVID and it should be solved at the state level. There's a really sharp young woman named Christina Peshaw. She's communications director for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And she said, remember when Biden was threatening Governor DeSantis and other pro-freedom governors to get out of the way and surrender to federal control? Because it was only a few months ago. It was only a few months ago. Now, remember, this is the same Joe Biden. Dementia Joe. Creepy Joe. Pedo Joe. The the, the usurper. Who said July 7th of last year, to beat COVID-19, we need a coordinated national response from the federal government. But Donald Trump refused to do his job. I've laid out exactly what I would do, and I encourage the president to adopt the plan in its entirety. But there was no plan. Now he's saying, well, it's just a state thing. It's just a state thing. Remember when earlier this year, back in February, Randy Weingarten, president of the National Teachers Union, Dismissing efforts, pardon me, dismissing the effects of school lockdown said, ah, kids are resilient. Kids will recover. Remember that? And now the New York Times says high schoolers across the U.S. have reported some of the most alarming mental health declines evidenced by depression and suicide attempts. Adolescents have failed classes critical to their futures at higher rates than in previous years. And yet we still see parents making their children wear masks in public. It's child abuse. It's child abuse. It's horrendous. By the way, I don't know if you heard uh, Eric Swalwell, U.S. representative from uh, California, the one who slept with the uh, Chinese spy for all those years, Fang Fang. He's upset with the guy who said, let's go Brandon to Dementia Joe over the holidays. He says that's indecent to the core. Okay, he was cheating on his wife with a female Chinese spy, and he's talking about other people being indecent. Um, By the way, What's going on with that uh, Glenn Maxwell trial? The one we're trying to, they're trying to cover up everything about Epstein. Because I saw this interesting meme here. We kill Epstein, put his madam on trial, have a few of the teen call girls testify against her, but never ask them who the clients were. 
I wonder why that was. I wonder why that was. Now, yesterday, I played for you some audio from 60 Minutes Face the Nation, this reporter talking about how horrible the lockdowns had been for children. And I was stunned. I was shocked that was allowed on CBS Face the Nation. Well, I guess it wasn't really. There's there's more to the story. Curtis Halk over at Newsbusters. Media Research Center says, longtime CBS reporter and chief legal correspondent Jan Crawford went viral on Sunday and Monday on social media following comments meant to air on Sunday's Face the Nation that slammed our elected officials and public health experts for, quote, the crushing impact that our COVID policies have had on young kids and children and the subsequent mental health crisis. However, I didn't realize this when I played her comments yesterday. CBS News actually kept her comments out of the actual show. Instead, CBS News relegated longtime CBS reporter and chief legal correspondent Jan Crawford's stinging rebuke which took place during the show's year-end Reporters' Roundtable, they relegated it just to Face the Nation's Facebook and Twitter pages. So it didn't actually run on the TV. In the full video, Margaret Brennan, host of CBS's Face the Nation, pivoted away from hopes for congressional Democrats advancing their agenda to asking, well, I want to get to underreported stories as well, Jan. Crawford responded without hesitation that it was something, quote, my kids hear me rant about every day, so I might as well tell you guys. She said, it's the crushing impact that our COVID policies have had on young kids and children by far the least serious risk for serious illness. She added, a healthy teenager has a one in a million chance of getting and dying from COVID, which is way lower than, you know, dying in a car wreck on a road trip. Now, for the ideology that claims to represent the little guy and stand up for marginalized communities, what Jan Crawford had to say was a, was a direct repudiation. She said, but they have suffered and sacrificed the most, especially kids in underrepresented at-risk communities. And now we have the Surgeon General saying there's a mental health crisis among our kids, the risk of suicide, girl suicide attempts among girls now up 51% this year, black kids nearly twice as Likely as white kids to die by suicide. I mean, school closures, lockdowns, cancellation of sports. Jan Crawford focused on the Washington, D.C. area, saying, quote, you can't even go on a playground in the D.C. area without cops scurrying, getting, shooing the kids off. Tremendous negative impact on kids. And it's been an afterthought. 
She wrapped up by going big picture with the reality that along with their mental health, having taken a turn for the worse with repercussions lasting for the rest of our lives, if future decisions aren't measured and sensible, the damage could worsen on top of the dreams crushed, future learning stunted, and risk of abuse incurred. Before going to longtime Pentagon correspondent David Martin for his pick, Margaret Brennan voiced agreement. She said, well said and frightening. Worse yet, CBS News axed Jan Crawford's comments seconds before they would have aired. So, Newsbusters shares a transcript and video of how the show aired. White House correspondent Weijia Jang said, we'll see about what happens with Congress in 2022. And Crawford was then set to follow, but Brennan instead went to a commercial break. Following the break, the CBS tape skipped ahead to each reporter's 2022 prediction. They censor the truth, don't they? Because it's party over country. It's the power of the regime over children when it comes to liberal media. It just is. And you know, again, I go back to my days in local talk radio in Little Rock, Arkansas. We were so delighted when Cumulus Media ditched their Westwood One national news because we could get Fox News Radio. Fair and balanced, you know. But every day, every day I would see big stories which would make the Democrats look bad, and Fox News Radio wouldn't touch it. And, you know, it reminds me of what my buddy Todd Starnes told me. They're all liberals at Fox News Radio. May as well be. ABC, NBC, CBS, or CNN. Now, I just want to remind you, this is uh, from the uh, Twitter profile and Open Secret. The same people who didn't care when Hollywood celebrity Peter Fonda said that Baron Trump, who was in like 10 or 11 years old, should be put in a cage with pedophiles. These same people who didn't care about that want to cancel some regular guy for saying, let's go Brandon to Biden. You know what I'm saying? Oh. On an unrelated note, going back to the Wu flu, New York Times now is saying as Israel weighs whether to approve a fourth COVID vaccine dose, some scientists warn that too many shots might actually harm the body's ability to fight the coronavirus. They're doing a 180. I'm telling you, in real time, in broad daylight, they're doing a 180 on the vaccines. And by 2024, the Democrats will act like they never pushed the vaccines and it's all Trump's fault. I'm telling you. Some of you uh, don't believe me on this. 
Some of you don't believe me on this, but it's true. It's true. You know, it, it wouldn't be the first time. It wouldn't be the first time the Democrats use great uh, hypocrisy. You got the New York Times saying, hey, wait a minute, you might not want to take too many booster shots. Uh, what? Got Biden backing off saying this is not a, a deal for the feds. Uh, you know, the states have to deal with the Wu flu. Uh, what? Senator Rand Paul comments on an article called the Wisconsin Purchase, how Mark Zuckerberg's millions and the Center for Technology and Civic Life turned Wisconsin blue in 2020. Senator Rand Paul says, How to Steal an Election, quoting from the article, seeding an area heavy with potential Democratic votes with as many absentee ballots as possible, targeting and convincing potential voters to complete them in a legally valid way, and then harvesting and counting the results. Huh. And again, and again, I go back to the Time Magazine article, February 2021, in which they bragged about stealing the election. 20-page article. Of course, they said we didn't actually steal it. We just fortified the election. We had to do any and everything we could because um, the country couldn't deal with another four years of Donald Trump. So they stole it. Now, I would have gotten fired from local talk radio by Cumulus Media in Little Rock, Arkansas, months before I actually did get fired for not taking the vaccine, if I'd said the election was stolen. Uh, you know, I tried to put together a Stop the Steal rally in late November, last Saturday, November of 2020, and I was told by the local general manager, you know, you'll be fired if you do that. But they did steal it. They did steal it, and we all know they stole it. We all know they stole it. Now, there's a tweet from a guy named Daniel Darling. And he's the... Um, the director of the Land Center at the Southwestern Seminary. And he's a columnist over at World Magazine. He's even contributed to USA Today. We're not going to hold that against him. And Daniel Darling says, The horror in Waukesha, Wisconsin happened over a month ago, and yet there is almost zero national coverage of it today. No pieces in the press profiling the victims, nothing on how the community is recovering, nothing on the motivations of the suspect. It's likely... It's like it has been memory hold. 
Now, see, I remember. I remember the day after that guy drove his car into the Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin. The next morning, the liberal media, including Fox News Radio, was saying, well, you know, uh, initial reports from the police are like that he was uh, fleeing some kind of domestic uh, situation and just kind of snapped. But see, I knew by then, anybody paying attention by then, that this guy's social media was full of racial hatred against white folks. Big Black Lives Matter supporter. His social media was full of calling for violence against people who didn't look like him. You know what I'm saying? And the word was also out that he had been arrested for allegedly running over the mother of his child and let out on a $1,000 bond. But the media didn't want to talk about that, including Fox News Radio. It's supposed to be fair and balanced. No, 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 no. Well, it looked like he was just uh, trying to get away from a domestic situation. Yeah, and he snapped. Yeah, That's a shame. Now, I don't know if you heard about this. The alleged school shooter in Texas. Texas teen, 18, who was bailed out the day after shooting and injuring three people at his school, allegedly, is rearrested after testing positive for illicit substance. Well, I'm shocked. 18-year-old Timothy Simpkins was arrested last Thursday after court-ordered urinalysis returned a positive result for an illicit substance. He was prohibited from using drugs and alcohol under his $25,000 bond. $25,000 bond. After you're accused of shooting four people. What is that, black privilege? Heard a lot about white privilege. Oh, just three people? Oh, okay. Simpkins was previously arrested on October of three counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. A police report claimed another student, 15-year-old Zakia Selby, had gotten into a brawl with Simpkins before the shooting on October 6. It says that while Selby was restrained, Simpkins pulled out a gun and started shooting seven to eight times. Selby was in critical condition, and a 25-year-old teacher and a teenage girl were also injured in the shooting. A pregnant teacher was reportedly also injured in the ensuing chaos. Okay, that would be four people. I thought I had it right. Simpkins was arrested hours later, placed on a $75,000 bond, part of which was paid for by a bondsman allowing Simpkins to return home on house arrest. How about that? Test positive for illegal substance. So uh, they violated him on the bond there. That's uh, messed up. You know, when you you don't take serious, seriously violent crime, you, you're going to get more of it. I mean, I'm sorry. I 
I hate to sound like a, a broken record. Last thing in the world I want to do. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you. So the Global Times, which is a media owned by communist Chinese government, is out there yesterday celebrating the life and times of Chairman Mao Zedong, the biggest mass murderer in the history of the world, as far as we know. Killed at least 40 million of his own people. And uh, social media like Twitter that's supposed to crack down on people they think uh, promote violence. Not a word. Not a word. It's all good as far as they're concerned. Biggest mass murderer in history. Che Guevara couldn't hold a candle to this guy. You know, I remember, you ever seen anybody in a Che Guevara shirt? Che Guevara t-shirt? And you wonder if they have any idea what a racist murderer he was. You wonder if, if they would even care. I remember the first person I saw wear a Che Guevara shirt. The first person I saw wear a Che Guevara shirt. Axel Rose. Axel Rose, Guns N' Roses. Like, wow. Wow, really? Really? You don't have any idea, do you? You don't have any idea, do you? Now, have you seen the viral video that's been going on all around out there about um, the woman who slapped a passenger on Delta for not having a mask on, which she didn't have a mask on either? He's just sitting there eating and drinking in his, in, his, in his seat. Have you seen that? Well, it turns out they've identified who the woman is. Her name is Patricia Cornwall, and she used to be on a TV show called uh, Baywatch. Perhaps you've heard of it. A David Hasselhoff vehicle back in the day. Kenneth Garger of New York Post reporting a woman caught on video slapping a passenger aboard a Delta flight last week was revealed as a one-time NFL cheerleader and former small-time actor with a role in Baywatch. Patricia Cornwall, whose stage name is Patty Breton, was charged with assault on Monday for a wild mid-flight tirade that went viral on social media. A federal criminal complaint filed in Georgia detailed the fracas that erupted on a flight from Tampa to Atlanta last Thursday. Cornwall, according to the affidavit, was trying to return to her seat from the restroom when she asked a flight attendant with a beverage cart that was blocking the aisle for help finding her seat. The flight attendant asked Cornwall to find a vacant seat until the beverage service was complete. 
Cornwall snapped back, hey, What am I, Rosa Parks? According to the court documents, garnering the attention of the victim. The man who felt Cornwall's comments were out of line told her that she, quote, isn't black, this isn't Alabama, and this isn't a bus, unquote, according to the affidavit. Oh, they got a picture of her here as an NFL cheerleader. The two then exchanged insults with the man telling Cornwall to, quote, sit down, Karen, unquote. Cornwall responded, according to court documents, sit down, using the P word. Well, he was already sitting down. According to a video of the incident captured by another passenger's cell phone, the two also screamed at each other to mask up. My goodness. Cornwall is then seen slapping the man who shouts, you're going to jail. Police arrested Cornwall at the Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International Airport. I've been there. Nice airport. And she was later taken into custody by the FBI. She posted a $20,000 bond at her arraignment. A judge ruled that she can only fly to return home to L.A. Cornwall has recently worked as a realtor. According to public records, she received a real estate license in California in 2013, which expired in 2017. She has an active profile with Coldwell Banker Realty that lists her as an agent. Oh, even though her real estate license expired in 2017? Interesting. She wrote in a recent online posting seeking a roommate in Florida where she hopes to relocate permanently. Quote, I've been practicing residential real estate for 13 years in Los Angeles, Westside, unquote. Decades ago, as Patty Breton, she appeared in small television roles. She was on an episode of Baywatch in 1987 and had a role in, on Married with Children in 1989. In the early 90s, she also was a member of the Raiderettes, the cheerleading squad for the then L.A. Raiders. Uh, they weren't able to reach her for comment. Well, you know, I think it's a shame that somebody who violently attacked somebody else was allowed to bond out. But who knows what she'll do uh, uh, next, you know? Who knows what she'll do next? I, I think people accuse of violent crime. should be uh, kept in prison, kept in jail awaiting trial. Look, they're going to keep people charged with nonviolent misdemeanors at the Capitol on January 6th, and that's set up by the feds in prison for a year without bail. Why wouldn't you keep uh, somebody you got on video actually slapping a guy across the face. Why wouldn't you keep him in jail? That's that's what I don't understand. That's what I don't understand. I mean, there's just... Uh, 
It's just no excuse for it, you know. They try to separate us. They want us to be at each other's throats because we have different politics, uh, because you might have more melanin in your skin than I do, whatever. They're trying to uh, separate us. Don't let them. We're all Americans, or at least we should be. At least we should be. Now, speaking of which, it's that time of day once again. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. And it's brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA. It believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV online the way you want to. Get it all squared away, and they'll deliver it to your front door wherever you live in the continental USA. Red River Your Way, bringing you today's tweet of the day. So we got a response here. We got a response here. A guy named Michael Harriet, who apparently is an actor, and by his uh, profile picture on Twitter, I see that he's black. He's talking about the Waze app. You ever use that W-A-Z-E, that traffic app? He says, Waze needs a safe setting for black people that avoids routes with a lot of oversized flags. And then the the great racist Joy Reid over at MSNBC responds, this is as real as it gets. But the tweet of the day is a response by somebody who goes by Corcom who says, yeah, okay. There are a couple of neighborhoods in my city I wouldn't feel safe driving around in, too. But they aren't the ones with the big American flags. They're the ones with the high crime rates. Yep. You know what it reminds me of? Years ago, as the great Rush Limbaugh would say, the Reverend Jesse Jackson saying, unfortunately... Unfortunately, if he's walking down a sidewalk at night by himself and there are young men who look like him come from the opposite direction, he's going to want to cross the street and avoid him. The Reverend Jesse Jackson expressed his fear walking in a city at night of young black males. It's a shame. Again, they're trying to divide us however they can. And that's one of the things, that's what intersectionality and critical race theory is all about. They want people who don't look alike to hate each other. And that's a shame. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. By the way, there are a lot of runner-ups, and we appreciate the Red River Your Way for sponsoring the Tweet of the Day today. A lot of runner-ups to Tweet of the Day. A guy who goes by Real Calvin One over there on Twitter says, if you can stand in line for a COVID test, you can stand in line to vote. No mail-in ballots. I like that one. You realize people were standing in line in Washington, D.C., six feet apart 
in freezing weather, people without symptoms to see if they got COVID. What if they're still using the PCR test because it's not midnight New Year's Eve yet? Dr. Brent Williams says there's no such thing as being fully vaccinated against this virus. That's a political term, not a medical term. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. The great Samuel Bravo over there on Twitter says, the CDC pulled six feet out of thin air only to arbitrarily cut it in half to three feet, and now they're cutting in half the quarantine time from 10 days to five days in order to keep society functioning. So follow the pseudoscience. One of the responses says, masks on when entering the restaurant, no masks while sitting together and talking. None of it ever made any sense. Again, how long have I been saying this? How long have I been saying how utterly ridiculous it is to assume that You need to wear a mask into a restaurant. You need to wear the mask getting to your table. You sit down at the table. You're still wearing your mask. And then once you make your drink order, you can take the mask off because the COVID ain't going to get you then. The Wu flu is going to be polite while you're sitting at the table. But I see people. I see people people who act exactly like that. Now, in Cali, they take a little bit different. In Cali... California, they want you to wear the mask in between bites, in between sips of your drink. It's all about power and control. They think you're sheep. They think you're stupid. If you play along, I mean, why why would you want to uh, play along and play into that whole thing? By the way, the great Jordan Schachtel, independent journalist, reporting what a lot of people are reporting widely today. 96 NFL players tested positive for COVID yesterday. 95% of the league has been declared vaccinated. Yeah, that's working. That's working out just great, isn't it? Now... I want to take a look at uh, Jordan Schachtel's latest article over there on Substack. Kind of summarize it. He says, COVID shots were both marketed by Big Pharma and authorized by the government under the core claim that they prevent transmission of the Wu flu. When the FDA decided to fully authorize the shots, they provided so-called evidence in the form of a CDC study that peddled the idea that Pfizer and Moderna shots stop the spread by 91%. Not a reduction of symptoms, but a direct blockade on the virus itself, resulting in expected eradication of the virus. Obviously, the core assertion this core assertion has not come to fruition, but the full authorization 
on the basis that it will prevent infection and transmission, remains in place. And then there is a response by a guy named uh, Ben Badejo at Harvard Law. He says, COVID shots weren't just marketed as vaccines that would sterilize you for the China virus. The claim was that the science itself actually proved that those vaccines would sterilize you from the Wu flu. And that turned out to be completely false. We all should be asking how scientifically this outcome can even be possible. I mean, that's something that uh, lawsuits should be mounted over. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree? The great Daniel Horowitz of the Blaze says it's not a matter of federal versus state solution for the Wu flu. It's that there is no government solution, period. There is only an early treatment solution. Well, gee, Doc, what do you mean by early treatment? Well, um, exercise, fresh air, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, ivermectin, what am I leaving out? Quercetin? That's what I'm talking about. The great Jack Posobiec says, remember, they said the studies showed that the vaccines were 100% effective at stopping COVID. Also, remember this. From the great P.P. Rose over Twitter, thalidomide. Ever heard of that? Thalidomide was used for four years for pregnant women back in the 50s before being pulled. You've already had three shots in less than a year from a company with no liability. Pfizer was hit with the biggest criminal fine in history, in history, in the United States by the Justice Department 12 years ago, $2.3 billion for falsifying data and bribing doctors. But you trust them now. Why do you trust them now? Why do you trust them now? Why on earth Wow, I just got such a nice comment here on the the Podbean app. See, I can look when if people are listening. I don't think it works if people are listening live on DocWashingtonShow.com, which is easy for some people who like, don't like downloading apps. But if people are listening on the Podbean app, they can type in some comments. This person says, the doc, this Doc Washburn Show is so laid back that I can put in my Bluetooth headset and either get up on my day off and listen and get chores done, or I can lie in bed with my kitty cat for two hours and relax and listen to all the current news. <laughs> Man, I, I'm, I'm impressed with that because if I was lying down for two hours and had a kitty cat, I'd fall asleep. I don't care how good the news was. Anyway, uh, it says Doc looks it all up for us so we don't miss a thing. Always has. I've been listening for years. Great job, Doc. We support 
you 100%. Thank you so much. Well, God bless you. I appreciate your, uh, your kind words. Really do. Really do. So, you're supposed to trust Pfizer. Yeah, I don't, man. I don't trust Pfizer any more than I trust Fauci any more than I trust Dementia Joe. Uh, by the way, Fauci out there talking about uh, New Year's Eve now. Fauci out there talking about New Year's Eve. So let's see what he says over on CNN, which, of course, would never actually question his word. I know you said it's okay to be with friends and family if you're vaccinated and boosted, but what is your advice to people about larger settings for New Year's parties? Uh, Caitlin, I would stay away from that. I mean, I, I have been telling people consistently that if you're vaccinated and boosted and you have a family setting in the home with family and relatives. But when you're talking about a New Year's Eve party, we have 30, 40, 50 people celebrating. You do not know the status of their vaccination. I would recommend strongly stay away from that this year. There will be other years to do that, but not this year. Okay, again, the great uh, Jesse Kelly, talk show host out of Houston, says, remember when Fauci warned there would be huge COVID spikes when we started having packed football stadiums and then there weren't any COVID spikes? And he said, well, the spikes would come in a few weeks and then there weren't any. He just kind of moved on after that. Just kind of moved on after that, didn't he? As if it never happened, right? Am I right? Well, it reminds me. Dr. Kerry Mullis, the guy who developed the PCR technique in the first place, the guy who said the PCR technique does not determine whether you're sick. The guy who died just a few months before the uh, Wu flu came out. Years ago, he said on camera, what a liar Anthony Fauci is. How he loves to get on television and lie. So I like to trot this out and play it every once in a while. Let's see. I hope we don't have a commercial. Yeah, we're going to have a commercial first. Uh, Probably only lasts five seconds. Yeah, we get out of the commercial in five seconds. Yeah, that's cool. So I got, I got that turned down. Okay, wait a minute. Dr. Kerry Mullis, the guy who got the Nobel for for uh, developing the PCR technique. What do you have to say about Fauci? What is it, what, what is it about humanity that, 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 that wants to go to the, all the details and stuff and listen? You know, these guys like Fauci get up there and start talking. You know, he doesn't know anything really about anything. And I'd say that to his face. Nothing. The man thinks you can take a blood sample and stick it in an electron microscope, and if it's got a virus in there, you'll know it. He doesn't understand electron microscopy, and he doesn't understand medicine. And he, doesn't, he should not be in a position like he's in. Most of those guys up there on the top are just total administrative people, and they don't know anything about what's going on at the bottom. You know, those guys have got an agenda, which is not what we would like them to have, being that we pay for them to take care of our health in some way. They've got a personal kind of agenda, 
They make up their own rules as they go. They change them when they want to. And they smugly, like Tony Fauci, does not mind going on television in front of the people who pay his salary and lie directly into the camera. You can't expect the sheep to really respect the best and the brightest. They don't know the difference, really. I mean, I, I like humans, don't, don't get me wrong, but basically there is a, there is a, there's a vast, the vast majority of them do not possess the, the ability to judge who is and who isn't a really good scientist. I mean, that's a problem, that's a main problem actually with science, I'd say, in this century because science is being judged by people, funding is being done by people who don't understand it. Okay, who do we trust? Fauci? Fauci doesn't know enough to, you know. If Fauci wants to get on television with somebody who knows a little bit about this stuff and debate him, he could easily do it because he's been asked. I mean, I've had a lot of people, president of the University of South Carolina, ask Fauci if he'd come down there and debate me on the stage in front of the student body because I wanted somebody who was from the other side to come down there and balance my... because I felt like, well, these guys can listen to me. But I need to have somebody else down here that's going to tell me the other side. But Fauci didn't want to do it. What is? Nope. He didn't want to do it. I trot that out every once in a while just to remind you what a liar is in charge of this whole thing. And um, after all Trump accomplished in his four years of president, probably the biggest mistake he ever made was trusting Fauci and Burks and calling for shutting everything down for 15 days. We're still dealing with the uh, effects of that. Of course, a guy like Biden and whoever's controlling Biden, Obama, Soros, whoever it is, they like the fact Fauci is a liar. I mean, Fauci is doing their bidding, you know what I'm saying? So that's not a problem. That's not a problem. So, you know, the video that's out of police beating up women on January 6th of the Capitol. Well... The D.C. Metro Police use of force guidelines explicitly state that strikes to the head with a hard object are considered deadly force. This is only permitted if the subject presents an immediate threat of serious injury or death to the officer or others. So, uh, No wonder they don't want to release the 14,000 hours of security camera video on January 6th from the Capitol because the police were breaking the law. They're being very violent. I mean, the media is not interested. Odds are whoever represents you in the U.S. Senate and U.S. House is not interested. Just a handful. Just a handful of people, right? Um, you know, I wish I could bring you more good news on a regular basis, but I, I 
I have to say, I have to, you know, well, I just, you know, I don't want you to ever say, um, why didn't you tell us? That's the thing. I just don't want you to ever say, why didn't you tell us? And so that's why sometimes we have to deal with some some rough topics. Some rough topics. Now, there's a guy named uh, Yossi Gestetner that I follow on social media. And uh, he's with the Orthodox Jewish Public Affairs Council. And I just I want, I want to share with you some stuff he's been saying out there recently. And uh, it's kind of like dovetails what we've been talking about. And if you're listening on the live stream and, and they and they cut it off, you know you can listen later um, to the rest on the on the podcast was downloaded. He says, I know I'm talking here mostly to the four walls, but as an exercise, I'll tweet these thoughts. And if you're one of the few to read it, thank you. We're often told to trust the science, but the science of trust is to earn it. You can't force people to trust you. In recent years, however, little has been done to earn the public's trust. For starters, there is no the science, as science is a developing thing. What's more, to claim the science is settled is strange as science is a top as a topic is about constant study. How can it be st- settled? How can there be such thing as settled science? Besides, if you have the numbers, show it. Why do you need to ask for people to trust it? Furthermore, many people trust the science, but they just tr- distrust your policy solutions to the science and your motives behind the policies that you want to impose on the public. Lack of trust building has been ongoing during the COVID-19 outbreak. For starters, how many times have you seen Scott Gottlieb, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, referred to in the media only or mainly with the impartial-sounding title of former FDA commissioner without being told he's on the board of Pfizer? He says, I don't mind Scott Gottlieb burning a living and selling books from his past work, but when media, the alleged anchors of truth, propagandize you on such basic stuff, how do you want the public to trust? I know that some shows, some articles, also add that Scott Gottlieb is on Pfizer's board, but it's not on all the TV appearances and news articles, and his former work is mostly in the lead as a former FDA commissioner. You assume... He has different interests or obligations than as a board member of a COVID-19 producer, but you keep getting his former title mostly. Also, Scott Gottlieb joined Pfizer's board a few months after leaving his FDA post. Same thing goes for Trump's last FDA commissioner, Stephen Hahn, who months after leaving his post took a job with a company that launched Moderna. As human beings, the opinion of current Senior FDA, CDC staffers on pharma issues likely gets blurred by the prospect of prestigious, publicity-generating, well-paying jobs in pharma, 
Big Pharma waiting for them within months of leaving government. Yet you want us to trust blindfolded, please. In addition to being led by their former FDA title and often no mention of their current work, few of any TV hosts or news articles tell you how soon after the FDA jobs, Hahn and Gottlieb joined these companies. But trust, trust in and by those health reporters is demanded. Then there's gaslighting that anyone who focuses a minute can see. In the early months of COVID, there was a debate whether hydroxychloroquine helps reduce the impact of COVID if given early. Again, helps reduce impact. Not a guarantee, not a cure. And if given early, not given late. So to debunk this, quote unquote, we were flooded with rapid studies that hydroxychloroquine helps little if given in hospital and therefore lets LOL at the claim that hydroxychloroquine can help when given early. I don't know if or how much it helps, but did you get the sleight of hand? Early use got debunked by late-use studies, and yet they want us to trust them. Fauci's agency pulled an early-use study of hydroxychloroquine in June 2020 because it could not find more than 20 people for the study. Really? How do you not find more than 20 people? How do you not study this while claiming on TV that it has little use? Oh, but trust us. Trust us. Basically, many doctors claimed that if given early, it can help. Not a cure, but it can help. Instead of studying it and throwing it at COVID to mitigate its impact for what it's worth, we got rapid studies about late use. Fauci's agency pulled its study. Doctors were shunned. And... People's studies were suspended. Another place of distrust during the COVID-19 pandemic was the encouragement of and response to protests for George Floyd in May and June of 2020. For months, we were told that life needs to be slowed down or even shut down to slow the spread. But when the George Floyd protest took off, without distancing and people singing and shouting in close proximity to each other, elected and government officials backed those protests, while kids who were at the lowest age risk group for COVID suffering were out of schools, patients left alone in hospitals and funerals delayed. Fauci, who opined about church singing and other things that needed to stop, was asked about the protests at a congressional hearing by Jim Jordan in July 2020, but for a sustained five minutes, he refused to say that those protests should not happen. Oh, but trust us. Trust us, right? Come on, man. Seriously? I mean, it's like the old saying. Who are you going to trust? Me or your lion eyes? Now, tomorrow, I'll give you another thread from Yossi Gestetner, but I guess it's about time for us to get out of here. And I appreciate y'all. And, you know, I appreciate all the kind things that y'all have said. So, that having been said, 
You've been listening to episode 54 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. Well, that's the way it is. Tuesday, December 28th, 2021.